Welcome to another edition of Unplug It as we tick towards round 16. That feeling of deja vu, I guess, is, is still resonating around a lot of Saints fans given where we were 12 months ago and, and where we are now. There are still differences, though. Try as we might, we just won't move down on the ladder despite a, a poor run of form where we stay fifth, obviously with a, an opportunity to stay there again um, this week if we can do the right thing in the West. It, it, we are now reaching the point, though, that... If you lose games, you can fall out of the eight. It was never, um, hasn't been a possibility in the last few weeks based on the mathematics of it. It's starting to become so. So obviously we've got to right the ship. But a, a frustrating Friday night against a, a very good Brisbane team, it must be said. But they weren't sensational. They were solid and, and played okay. We were very disappointing early. And unfortunately, the pattern around Spud's game uh, continues and, you wonder whether that points to a degree of maturity that when when our club, for whatever reason, I know they handled the 150th very well, but whenever they're presented with a cause that steps outside of business as usual, so for example, they have business as usual, which is preparing for a game and, and doing all of the usual stuff, but it appears that in recent years, whenever there's been something else added to the mix and the week looks different and you do other stuff that... We don't necessarily handle it very well early in a game, especially. Um, maybe that's reading too much into it, but they clearly need to get better in that space. And obviously, Ross will be learning a lot about them. Uh, it was another game similar to the week before where they fought pretty hard but but had limitations. Um, and now we look towards a, a West Coast Eagles side which uh, could not possibly be going worse, could not possibly be more banged up with injuries and Really, there are no excuses, but it's, it's about a week back now, Nick. I'll start with you. Um, reflecting on that Brisbane game, we apart from the first goal, we, we never looked like it. No, it's 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 disappointing. I think we'd be remiss not to mention the fact that Brisbane are a really good footy team. Like they're they're a legitimate top four team, right? And and we're not at that point. I don't, I don't think anyone, despite the fact that we've been fifth for about three million weeks, um, I don't think anyone's legitimately making the argument that we're competing for top four um, in, in that same way that, that Brisbane and Melbourne and you know Collingwood and, and Port Adelaide are uh, in, in those spots at the moment. I think it's pretty clear that we're at least a, we're at least a step down on the ladder and and you know in, in form and the way that we play footy at the moment. So Brisbane are a really good team and, and losing to Brisbane, is is not necessarily a bad thing. I think what was what was disappointing was the manner in which we did so, and you know it was kind of like the bad old St Kilda again. We we know that we struggled to get our hands on the ball. Um, we were outmatched in the middle. Uh, our forward delivery was awful. We kicked it to Harris Andrews six billion times, um, as we have tended to do over the last decade with key defender intercept. Mark type players, whether it's Harris Andrews or Jake Lever or Stephen May or James Sicily or whoever it is, Darcy Moore, you know, it it, it seems to be the, the the kind of kryptonite for us in that we can't seem to move the ball past their kind of centre half back um, or whoever it is in in that kind of third man up um, intercept mark defender, and it's it's been. A real issue for us for quite a while, and it's it's kind of reared its ugly head again uh, over the last five or six weeks. Um, and it's something that we've got to get better at. But it was it was really disappointing watching that game in that we hadn't seemed to learn anything. Yeah, you know, we've played some pretty poor footy over the last month or, or five six weeks, and it didn't feel like we'd learnt much out of it. And um, 
I don't think we're expecting to 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 win the flag this year, but I think we are expecting that we're going to be competitive, we're going to compete, we're going to play hard, and we're going to learn week after week with a young team, new coaching staff, all these sorts of things that, that we continue to learn. And that was, I think, for me, the most disappointing thing is that it didn't feel like we'd learnt much from the, the previous month. Yeah, H, I think that's a reasonable summary that we, you know, it was a lot of those mistakes that we've made in the past. I mean, there are clear visual differences. Obviously, we've got the constant reminder of what happened last year and it, it does look the same. But yeah, as Nick was saying, it's about putting yourself in that position again and learning. And, and that was another opportunity on the big stage where we didn't do so. And there will be more chances this year. I mean, Melbourne, Gold Coast away, Geelong on a Saturday, I think at Marvel. And those opportunities will come again. And I guess we've just got to keep getting better and better at it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a game that we couldn't win. That's that's as simple as that was. Yeah. It, was, it, was it was a winnable game. Um, Brisbane showed up, that, that, and that's one of the mm. things that went against us. That actually, Brisbane actually played some really good football. We 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 ran as hard as we could. We chased them. We um, the defenders held up reasonably well, but they were just able to find that one extra forward who would just sneak in and get the mark in the behind us in the fifty or. Um, just get that. Or well, mainly it was Harris Andrews, but there was always that one extra defender helping. It would be, but we'd put the ball into King, and he'd be one. By the time we go to kick the ball, he's one on one, but all of a sudden he's three on one. It, they just they just structured up better than us. We they we gave him a bit of space at times. It seemed like we 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 allowed them to almost bring the ball forward. And then tried to pick it off in the forward line, in their forward line. But as we got the ball back and tried to get the ground, they they were hot on us every time for every contest. For didn't matter where it was on the ground, it just their pressure was a lot. Well, for most of the game, higher. Despite in mean, the second half, I saw that our pressure that Fox Footy run was higher than them. So it's they they seem to be on us quicker, on us earlier, on us. Or, getting there before and spoiling the ball more than we did. But so I'm not sure whether that sitting back and waiting for the ball a little bit works against these better teams because it kind of gives them a bit of a rest running up the field and we turn around and go back the other way and all of a sudden they've had their, they've had their quick rest and they go hard again. They go and run us down and so it's, not 100% sure that's the best plan of attack against those sort of teams. Um, we, I think we've got to be a little bit tighter and we'll, we'll as you're saying, learn from that. We'll, we know what the top three, four teams are going to bring. We, and we know we have to step up if we want to be a part of that group. Um, as you said, we're probably just a bit below them in the next sort of, I guess, bracket. Um, but in going by that, the, by the time game starts Sunday, we actually could be starting in ninth position, which is which is a bit of a conceivably bit of a strange situation where we yeah we could yeah finish exactly where we started the week again. Well, started what, yeah the wind would roll us back where we've been since nineteen thirty seven. But yeah, it's just, um, <laughs> yeah we if we can keep up with Melbourne, um, they're probably at as you look at the moment probably the 
are the one who's chasing that other spot there. Um, Brisbane have Brisbane have launched and taken off tonight again, as we've seen. So it's 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 a bit of a chase on, and yeah, we've given them that buffer and we've lost it. So yeah, we've got to pick up a few wins and get that, get that little bit of a buffer back to the teams chasing. And we've got to be brave in the sense that we play Melbourne next week. We're a game behind them. We probably both win this week. Um, so that presents us with a chance to bridge that gap on them next week. Obviously, mm. they're a very good side and you never know. But, I mean, in terms of perspective on the season, Nick, how many sides do you reckon this year have spent every week in the eight? Uh, two? Three. Collingwood, Three. Melbourne, and us. So there you go. I think that's something that needs sure to be. Melbourne had. Yeah, it's um, something that obviously needs to be, I think, put in, in that degree of perspective. Obviously, it, it doesn't mean anything if we don't stay there. But I still think that, you know, for all of the negativity around us, you know, Richmond's below us on the ladder. Um, you know, Gold Coast are below us. Adelaide are below us. Essendon are below us. Bulldogs are below us. Fremantle are below us, etc. So for all of the negativity, and I understand where that's coming from, by all measurements, we've had better seasons in all of those teams. So the, mm. the doom and gloom around us should be higher on them by rights. So it's our position that we've set up and we've earned. So we've got to protect yeah. that now. So um, clearly we've got to I play we, better. But we, we spoke about it a couple of weeks mm. ago that I think it was, you know, it was that first five or six weeks of the season that really kind of changed the direction or the expectation mm. of Correct. what we yeah. what we thought this year was going to be. And had we gone three and three, like we said, was kind of our internal to the podcast, our internal target, <laughs> then this conversation would be very different. Had we gone two and four, this conversation would be very different. But we're, we're sitting five and one, and all of a sudden, you know, playing some good footy and, and we're getting players back and the expectations naturally change. And I think we've tried to, I guess, keep that a little bit neutral. But, um, you know, when, you, when you're playing good footy and then you get guys like Membry and Steele and, and Max King back and, and these types of guys that you expect – uh, a, an organic improvement from that um, that you've already shown, and that hasn't been the case for us. And and there's been a, a number of reasons, and we could sit here talking for days as to why that that hasn't happened. But um, you know, the reality is that we didn't expect that we would be sitting in fifth come round sixteen. Like that, that was not where we thought this season was going to be fifteen weeks ago. So trying to keep that in in perspective, I guess. Um, and coming, keep coming back to, to Ross's line that this is a season of exploration. If we if we want to take it a step further and play finals, then this week, as we've said for the last few weeks, these are the games that we have to win. And there is absolutely no excuse to not beat West Coast this coming week. Uh, but we are St Kilda and that is so St Kilda. So, yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's something that's I wanted why to, it exists. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that a little bit later on, that, that sort of – commentary around it but I think as, as you say the expectations change but I think we now need to to make the eight I think mm. the platform has been set from here that it would be a disappointing result not to make it based on everything that's that's happened and the, the goalposts of expectation move and rightly or wrongly we've set that expectation now we've been in the eight all year um, we've answered some challenges we've got some more ahead of us but it would be a disappointing result if we don't get there from here so um, I think that that has to now be the the expectation. It doesn't just happen, but 
Um, you know, we've got as good a chance as any. We play, I think, the bottom five teams on the table. Admittedly, some are going better than than they mm. were earlier, such as um, you know, Gold Coast to GW. Oh, so Gold Coast aren't as bad as that would suggest. And we play Richmond again, who are capable, and Carlton can always do something. But Hawthorne um, have already beaten us. Correct. Um, North got close. North got close, and they're they're playing with a little bit more spark at the moment. Um, under, but, you know, under we, we win, we win three of those, and we're just about there. Yeah, we, yeah we beat, th- Let's say we beat West Coast Hawthorne North. Mm. We're just about. If there. you look at the, the equation, the so eleven, we yeah, the way it's yeah, going eleven, at the moment, we just full twelve is probably yeah. going to get so, you in because the, 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 that's yeah. the reason we're sitting fifth still. The way the ladder's going, <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, so so twelve would probably just in eleven, probably just out thirteen. You're a certainty to make it. So um. Yeah, they're the equations that you, you sort of look at. But, yeah, we'll touch on, I guess, West Coast a little bit later on. And, and interesting ones around the Shannon Knowles a little bit later on in the uh, in the broadcast as well. But in terms of votes, because I did it about a week ago, I feel like I've um, missed one. So I just wanted to make a slight change to mine. So I gave – I'll start at the bottom. I'd initially given a vote to Brad Hill. I'm going to turn that into an apology and, and – an apology for taking him off the vote list. Having seen a bit of the game again, um, his defensive efforts, Jack Steele squeezes in in place to get that vote. I gave a vote to Nass. I thought he played quite well again. I gave a vote to Mason Wood, who had been a little bit down in previous weeks, but that was a bit better from him. Two votes to Josh Battle. I thought he was our best of the keys, took took a lot of intercept marks. Two votes to Jimmy Webster. That's about as, as good a job as you can do on a quality small forward. And Jack Sinclair was our best player again um, and may even get a Brownlow vote conceivably from from that performance. But they were my 10 and, and apologies to Brad Hill who was in and then out. But H, um, how did you yeah, uh, spread your 10? I probably have a bit more of a narrow field than usual um, mm. with my votes. I, I I haven't seen the game on tape. I, I only, I've only seen live at the ground on the night. Um, so I, I haven't got steel in. I, I I was very surprised when I saw he had 21 touches and mm. I thought he had a few tackles because um, of the way we were, I guess, crowd, like or, um, stopping their run out of the ball ups and that sort of thing. And there was a lot of ball re, resets and that. And I wasn't surprised to see I was 12 tackles and that sort of thing. But, that, yeah, I, I didn't feel... That impact at the ground is obviously what probably happened on the on the actual um, coverage on TV itself. So he, he is one that I didn't get in there. Um, so obviously there's an apology if I have missed a, a pretty good game from him. Um, but yeah, gave one to uh, Brad Hill and one to Josh Battle. Um, two to Jimmy Webster. I mean, uh, <laughs> you could be dead sad and lucky to have keep Cameron goalless and he kicks one with a second to go. That's mm. the cheap goal over the top to pick that one. And, he, yeah, that is the unluckiest thing because he did a brilliant job on him. And you just see down on the ground level how how much he was working him and just, just getting him to a position that didn't make it easy for him to do what he likes to do normally. And it, it, we thought Patton was probably going to be the one going to him. But, yeah, Jim, Jimmy just stepped in and if – we want with someone to, for the game later in the year on him. He's locked that position in already. Um, there, there's no way he's not getting picked against Brisbane next time. 
Um, gave two to Crouch as well. Um, just thought he battled away for today, and as he as he has, he's just done that all year, week in, week out, and it's probably one of the most consistent, I guess, performers we've seen for a long time. It, it's almost the same, almost the same game every week, and yeah, I mean, it'd be great to see him just take that one little step further and absolutely pull the team apart. Um, I mean, save it for this week. Don't don't worry about this week. Just do it. Do it against Melbourne. <laughs> have a have an absolute ripper against Melbourne. Um, but yeah, far, by far and away the best player on the ground for the night for us was Sinclair. Um, gave him four votes. It's uh, he, pretty much he was two times better than anyone on the field, and that's that's how I um, why basically gave him the four votes. Yeah, pretty similar for me. I think. Pretty much covered all, all the base. I gave one vote to Hill, Battle, Crouch, uh, Naz, and Jimmy Webster. I gave two votes to Jack Steele. I think that's probably the best we've seen of Jack Steele for, for quite a while. Um, and it wasn't necessarily that that humongous impact like, like you mentioned, H. It was more doing the little things that I think we've become accustomed to Jack Steele doing, which is the, the defensive pressure, um, the locking the ball in, the clearance work the tackles i mean 12 tackles is is a huge number regardless but um that was getting closer to the the jacks deal that that we know and love and like you both said jack sinclair was far and away our best player and and three votes for him yeah tracking towards um the the best and fairest again and probably ours as well so um which is the jack Steele award although maybe if sinclair ends up winning five it, it ends up changing but <laughs> jack Steele was so far and away Ahead in uh, in those previously, it's like the Jason Blake Award. Whether that ended up becoming a, um, I don't know, if somebody else like a Liam Stocker ends up owning it or something, we'll uh, we might <laughs> might have to revisit it uh, somewhere along the way. But yeah, that's a reflection on that game against Brisbane. Uh, obviously, some sad news filtered through during the week as well. Uh, Matt Rendell, obviously, his role in in football was primarily as a, a great player with Fitzroy uh, back in the day, but. Spent a lot of time uh, at St Kilda during a fun time for St Kilda, you know, when a lot of us were sort of teenagers and really enjoying that side that was kicking 30 goals a week under um, Grant Thomas. And, you know, I, I remember him, uh, it's when I knew we'd won the qualifying final against Adelaide was um, because that was back when Channel 10 had the five-minute warning, so you didn't know exactly how long there was to go. And... I think we were chipping the ball around on the wing and we were eight points up and they panned to the coach's box and Matt Rendell stood up behind Grant Thomas and had a smile on his face and had picked up his folder and I'm like, well, the siren's going to go, clearly. Um, <laughs> and I remember a lot of people uh, around us were like, they're packing up, they're packing up in the box, we're home. And for, for whatever reason, I remember uh, that image. But, yeah, obviously very sad to hear of his passing during the week. And, um, yeah, he's, he's a, a St Kilda person, albeit, um, mainly a, a Fitzroy Brisbane person, but um, but certainly one of ours. Yeah. I think it's kind of understated the impact mm. that that he had on our footy club. I mean, we we all talk about Grant Thomas and and Ross Lyon and and I guess that transition period and and you know what GT did with our our list and our club over that period. But um, yeah, I think what what Matt Rendell brought to us was that real focus on footy, you know, strategy, skill, training, 
professionalism, all that sort of stuff. GT was the the, the culture and the leadership and the the motivation and and all that sort of stuff. And and bit of foot, like obviously a footy real footy head himself. But but Matt Rendell came from that elite. You know, was, was a an, an AFL captain, VFL captain. Um, you know, best and fairest, all, all these sorts of things, um, and really brought that professionalism to the coaching group, and and the strategic mind and vision to, you know, what moves had to be made. Obviously, that connection between uh, footy department and coaching as well, with, with an eye towards what he did later in his his career, um, and you know, really was really was a, a and had a big impact on on our footy club over that that period. It. it- it's one of those, I guess, roles that you, you don't see a lot and you don't hear a lot of praise from and you don't hear a lot of, well, it, it's not the Hollywood role sort of thing. It, it's a lot of behind the scenes, a lot of hard work, a lot of get, getting the best out of what we've got. But on the game day where things, the things that he might do work, it, it's not the praise that goes to him as the players who did it all so there's it, a lot of work there that he probably never got much a lot of credit for except for behind the scenes so a lot of people wouldn't realize the the sort of job that that is and yeah the, these assistants that work week in week out we, we see a lot more of it now with the coverage that the club gives to gives to um cory and right and lenny and halves and i just be a bit more obviously because we've got the guys come home but they're getting a lot more recognition now than what they ever have. And he, he was in a time where mm. he, he he probably got a lot out of the players that we had. And we saw that with the results mm. on the field, but just just never got that praise that it probably deserved. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, we and every all other fans, thank him for that time that we had um, back then. And it was a great time to watch and... Cut down, obviously, by a few injuries um, that, yeah, could have led us, led us all the way. But yeah, we just just stumbled at the at the final couple of well, not the final hurdle, but just before it a couple of times, and um, yeah, the hard work was almost reward. It was an incredibly yeah. fun team to watch, mm. wasn't oh, absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. fun team to watch, and and he was a huge part of that. Mm. Yeah, and, and um, obviously Grant Thomas has been a guest on our show a couple of times and, you know, reaching out to, to him as well. Obviously, he's uh, was very, very close to to Bundy and, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really unfortunate circumstance, obviously, to see. I mean, his son's been a bit of a, a spokesperson and he's playing in the VFL with Frankston at the moment, so uh, continuing on as a ruckman uh, in that comp. So uh, hopefully, you know, the, the family can, can work their way through it. But um, one player who... Uh, was touched certainly by Matt Rendell's influence and played some good football for us and was there for a couple of pretty significant moments um, across the, the little stint that he, he spent with the club, uh, is our next guest and, and penned some nice words today. I speak of Alan Murray. Around and in and out of trouble. Tallis. Oh, Murray! What a start for his career for the Saints! Alan Murray strikes him for the opening goal! Well, our next special guest on Unplugged was part of a fascinating chapter, a fascinating story in St Kilda's history. We we try to touch on the many and varied paths through to the AFL and through to St Kilda. And Alan Murray 
Started with Port Adelaide at pick 35, played a game with them, came across to the Saints, but obviously the story from there was promoted off the rookie list after Matthew Capuano was delisted, kicked a goal in his first 20 seconds as a Saint and would kick four on debut and uh, play a, a major role in a great victory over Hawthorne and then a very good win over the Brisbane Lions a week later as well. And He's been on our list for a little while, and unfortunately it's been fast-tracked a little bit with the tragic passing of uh, Matt Rendell, and Alan Murray did um, pen some very nice words over the last 24 hours or so. And, Alan, thanks very much for, for jumping on and joining us today. Yeah, hi, guys, and, uh, yeah, certainly condolences to the Rendell family, and, um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to, I guess, to, to share, uh, I guess, my journey and, and also the the connection I had with the great man, um, which we'll touch on a little bit later. I guess starting there, um, obviously you did put that post together. He was a, a major part of Grant Thomas's coaching staff during your time at the Saints. And uh, everybody who has spoken, be it his ex-Fitzroy teammates or those that were involved in St Kilda or even you know list management at Adelaide or wherever it may be, have spoken incredibly highly of him. Can you Take us through your relationship with um, with Matt Rendell. Yeah, for sure. And before we move into it, boys, I'd certainly like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that we gathered on. Um, to my people, uh, the Dudawara people, um, my traditional lands, which I'm based up in Wodonga at the moment. Um, and then also to the homelands of Moorabbin, um, the, you know, the great club, St Kilda Footy Club, uh, where it takes place of the land of the Bunurong people. Uh, so I'd like to pay our respects to elders past, present, and also those emerging as well that coming through the ranks and, um, um, you know, and showing those leadership qualities to, um, yeah, to pursue some greater aspirations um, into advancing, I guess, uh, Aboriginal affairs as we move into this this great thing that's leading towards the end of the year, the referendum, um, where we have a choice. Do we do we go down the path of, uh, you know, of, uh, of the referendum and saying yes and, just like the uh, 67 referendum um, and, you know, having the mob in the constitution. So, um, and that's always been an integral part of me and my identity. Um, and that was something that I was extremely proud about um, that I brought to, to St Kilda Footy Club uh, after my short stint at uh, Port Adelaide. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and as a post I put out today, sharing a, a bit of an insight and a story to, to my family and all of my friends and and, uh, and to the wider audience as well around, you know, the great man Bundy was, um, as he was known um, in, the, in the football ranks. Um, the two years that I had at Port uh, was cut short, unfortunately, after two years after being there with, with, uh, with eight of the brother boys as well. Where we certainly had some great times on and off the field, um, but then it uh, two years later it was one of those things. And um, as an individual and as a family, and for those families and uh, and other players who have uh, been through that experience, where they do get um, cut from the list or they get that phone call or called into the coach's office, and and you're sitting around, um, you know, you're sitting in front of the coach and you're sitting in front of the operations manager and the CEO and the, and the recruitment guys or whoever it might be, and, um, and then they say to you, your services are no longer required. Um, and at the ripe age of 20, um, it, it, like it hit me like a ton of bricks and I didn't know where I was going. 
Um, and that was at the time um, at Port Adelaide. <clears throat> and then after that, um, I was literally crying and didn't know what to do and got told to pack the locker up and um, get my stuff and, and move on. Um, so then I had to pay, <laughs> had to pack up my Mitsubishi Lancer and chuck all my stuff in the car because <laughs> I sort of had nothing in Adelaide um, other than older brother was there <clears throat> at the time and he had a partner as well. And then, and then a month or two sort of passed and I was sort of looking at life and looking at myself in the mirror not knowing what, what my next steps are or where I'm going in life and, and you know, speaking to mum and dad, they're like, son, you just need to come home so we can look after you. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, packed the, uh, pack the Lancer up and cut across uh, from Adelaide to Albury, which is a, about a nine- to ten-hour drive. Um, and then sitting at home at mum and dad's uh, in a suburb outside of Albury called Thaguna, where I grew up, um, and sitting there for, for a couple of months and, you know, being a little bit miserable and I guess somewhat looking back at it now, um, probably a little bit depressed, you know, you you sacrifice so much at a young age to try and get drafted, get into a system, get into, get on a list and then you, you're in it and then you live it and then you train, you train your ass off to try and perform um, for that to to fall short two years later and then end up back on mum and dad's couch. Um, you know, it hit, it hit pretty hard and and then, you know, the funds or the savings start drying up and um, and then you start looking at work and you're putting in your your CV and all you pretty much got is your year 12 certificate and, and two years of experience at a footy club. You know, that doesn't that doesn't carry much weight these days when you're looking for work. Um, so the uh, the savings account dried up, so I had to I had to suck it up and um, you know had to roll into Centrelink um, and, and fill out the dole form and say that I was you know to show that I was worthy and and at that time when I was rocking up to Centrelink, you know you, you you're somewhat in shame and you're looking down at your boots and you, you from you going from the ultimate pinnacle of being drafted and being in, a, a, I guess, a small country town where you do get, you know, looked upon as as a role model and as, as a leader, and then a couple of years later, you, you know, you're back, you're back to the grassroots. And the great thing about that was no one treated me different. Um, but then, yeah, filling the form out, and then the uh, the phone started to ring. I'm not sure what it was back then. I think it was the old Nokia with the snake game that you play. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, uh, yeah, and I'm looking at the phone, I'm thinking, who's this? Well, what's this number? And then answered the phone and, um, cause I did hear Matty Roundell ended up at St Kilda. Um, yeah, and he, uh, and that was him on the other end of the phone. And he simply asked, what are you up to, Al? And I, mate, uh, <laughs> to be honest, I'm, uh, I'm lining up at Centrelink to, uh, to put my doll for me so I can start earning some money so I can sort of somewhat pay rent with mum and dad or, you know, pay some money towards them to put, you know, food on the table for, for us. And, well, he goes, mate, I love the way you play your footy. Um, the second year I had at Port Adelaide was cut short due to some injuries. Um, so I had two operations uh, on my knees. So I didn't play much that second year, but the first year played some pretty consistent footy. Um so then on the on the back of that he yeah he gave us the call and said mate I want you to come I want first of all I want you to 
grab that piece of paper that you filled out that you're going to hand in the ceiling, scrunch it up and put it in the bin because um, I want you to come down and try out for St Kilda. And I was like, mate, that's, uh, that's the best news I've heard for a long time. So um, quickly scrunched it up, put it in the bin, ran out of Centrelink, um, jumped in the Lancer, ran or drove, you know, probably sped back then um, to mum and dad, share the news <laughs> with them. Um, and then we're all jumping for joy, you know, and having this um, and how I look at it now is it was a second crack at life and a second opportunity at, at football. Um, and and then whilst I was driving down the Hume Highway down to Moorabbin um, and sitting in, you know, I think it was about three and a half, four hours drive and, again, having all of my belongings in the car um, and going to a host uh, family or a dude who we live with in Cheltenham um, and then and sort of thinking to myself, this is my second chance to actually do something. So then I don't want to go back to where I was um, you know, only the, the couple of days before where I don't want to be lining up at Centrelink and, and having that, that hard, heavy heart of, of um, being in that place. So I thought, well, now that this is my opportunity, I'm certainly going to try and make the most of it if it comes to games being played at the footy club or if it's doing something or using the football club as a platform um, to do some great things, and and as you said, you played some um, some you know some good games with with the footy club. Uh, but then uh, I met a great person by the name of Peter King, who got involved in the at Saints as well, who, who um, brought in sort of the uh, the mental mental side and the psychology side of, of football and what that looks like. Um, because you know the, all the ups and downs of, of footy and the the continual training that you need to do. It's a high-pressure environment. It's a cutthroat industry. And being able to, you know, to best deal with, you know, that hardship um, of training your training your backside off and doing those extra sessions but then not playing the senior game. You're in the reserves. You're doing your extra sessions. You're still on the minimal wage. Um, and then and then trying to just make the most of it. So, so from that point on, um, yeah, I started, you know, putting things in place with uh, with the leadership of, of Bundy, who was a great supporter of the culture, culture as in the Aboriginal culture, but culture within St Kilda Footy Club as well. Um, and I wanted to bring that um, to like my heritage and and the knowledge that I've been taught from from my mum and dad and 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 my family as well from. From Aubrey Wodonga and um, and to bring that into the elite football environment to showcase to the footy club of what that looks like. Um, to whereas now um, the clubs, you know, a lot of the clubs, and I'm pretty sure all of them have their reconciliation action plans, and a lot of the uh, government agencies and and corporate um, companies and businesses that, of the like do have their reconciliation action plans to 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 somewhat create a level playing field for for the Aboriginal community to participate in. So they feel culturally safe. Um, and in the early days, you know, um, within St Kilda, I sort of didn't feel that, um, even though we've had the greats of Nicky Winmar and your Gilbert McAdams and, um, and, 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 you know, those guys who are pioneers of the game. Um, but in terms of a young Aboriginal kid, 
coming into a foreign environment and still not sort of being feel like feel, felt like he was culturally safe in his home, which is St Kilda Footy Club. I felt that I needed to, you know, to I needed to start creating change with um, with people's mindset around the mob. Um, so with that, created a um, a, a not for profit charity with uh, with Xavier Clark and where we went into uh, schools and community groups and um, we had the the support from the from the board down um, to the coaches wide to the playing group. Um, where we'd go into schools and community groups and teach um, adolescent kids and, and young adults around life skills and and how, how important it is <clears throat> when you're in those adolescent years and you start engaging in those high-risk behaviours, um, what are the ripple effects of the decisions that you make? Um, and, I give, and I gave some great examples of some of my stuff that I did when I was a when I was a teenager and found myself in trouble and the ripple effect from that and then that, and then when you start making the right choice and then surrounding yourself with the right people, um, that ripple effect isn't so great. Um, so with those programs, we, we got government funding, state and federal, um, where we'd, had, we'd have um, players, the playing group at the time, come in and share their stories as well, like, um, before the the, uh, the headquarters are there now, before when the old stand was there with the old Trevor Barker room and the old dungeon underneath, we we'd run a program in there with uh, some local kids that are around the corner at Moravan School, um, where we got them in, and 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 this was during our day off. Um, so generally, the Thursday was our day off, where we'd get up at pretty much six thirty in the morning on our day off and go because we did a uh, what we called a breakfast club because we wanted to send the kids to school, um, you know, with the, with the right nutrition in their belly so then they can go to school um, and not feeling hungry Hungry because when you when you are hungry, when you're at school, all you're thinking about is food. You're not thinking about the, the lessons that are getting taught or the stories that are getting told by the teachers. So we did a breakfast club and we'll, we'll be at the footy club from 6.30 um, to 8 o'clock on our day off. Um, and it was a commitment that we that we put in um, as a as an individual and as a as a club and as a playing group to to showcase to to the young kids that you, once you start engaging in these um, programs and and identifying certain things at a young age, hopefully as they go through their adolescent years into their adult life, um, they can make better decisions. Um, and, and that's something they were extremely proud of. And, um, and Bundy had come down and, and participated in a few of those sessions as well and shared his story. And, um, and yeah, and it, we just had a great time. Um, during, during that period, I was at the footy club. Uh, we've heard a, a lot about Bundy. I mean, we know, I guess, a little bit what he was like as, as a player, as a big, intimidating ruckman, played hard, was fierce, fierce competitor. Uh, we've seen him in the media over the last kind of decade or so on, on the radio and, and that sort of stuff. But what was he like behind closed doors? I mean, you obviously he gave you that second chance that, that you've just spoken about, um, not just from a, a footy career, but, but post-footy and uh, into a, a bunch of things that you've done since. But what was, what was Matt Rendell like behind closed doors? Yeah, behind closed doors, you know, and as you're saying, 
was ruthless. Um, he would call a spade a spade. Um, but the great thing in the relationship I had with Bundy was when it was behind closed doors, he was a gentle giant. Um, and he was like a, a big brother. And I had a, a I had an uncle similar similar stature um, in height and size and a similar tone of voice as well. And and I really looked at him as and sort of put him, Bundy and my uncle, sort of in parallel because uh, my uncle was good at footy as well. And um, and just hearing, you know, those the the stories or the um, the the skills that he'd teach you on certain places to be with on the footy field, um, you know, the tactical side of things, the zone side of things, and the structure of side of things, and then also having that the belief in yourself, all that stuff happened behind closed doors. Um, which you know, which I hold dear to my heart, and and that's why um, you know, like I, the, the post that I put out today is, um, I wouldn't be pretty much where I am today with the successes that I've had with work and and family and um, and now a new relationship, and I, w- I wouldn't be uh, where I am without that second chance of Bundy calling me um, whilst I was in that lineup at Centrelink. Um, yeah, so. Ruthless on the field, out on the track, blowing the whistle, look at, look you in the eyes, rip the shreds off you. Uh, but the great thing about it, behind the closed doors, he'll give you that gentle, warm, verbal hug, not uh, not a physical one, but he'd <laughs> um, <laughs> make you feel, um, you know, valuable. And that's important as well. As much as you, as a coach, and I'm coaching my uh, young boys team now, and as much as you get frustrated at times and you want to yell and scream and, um, and, and, you know, and somewhat call it out, you know, some of the behaviours. It's important to, whilst the environment or the people aren't around, to go circle back around and to check in and to ensure that, um, that it's okay, that we're all, all we're trying to do as coaches. And I'm sure Bundy was of that view as well as, um, is to, is to make you a better person, um, not just on the footy field, but also off the footy field as well. And that was something that he um, that he certainly did for me. So from that, is is there one thing that you you just recall that might be a little thing that he gave you a, a tip on life, a tip on football, a tip on I don't know the the best burger joint that just just sticks in your mind that go <laughs> that's something that you hold and you still hold today that he gave to you sort of thing. Yeah, well, I certainly can't go past that phone call because um, I could only imagine if I didn't answer that call because um, I probably I wouldn't have got a second one. Um, I wouldn't have got a second call because that's the type of person he, he was. He'd give you sort of one opportunity. If you didn't take it, he'd move on pretty quick. So I was lucky that I did answer that call. Um, and, it, and and I guess from that point on, all these things started falling into place. Um, and then we sort of just had this special connection or this bond um, where, where I was more than happy for him to, to call it out or my behaviors or if it's certain plays or certain things were out on the footy field. If I wasn't, um, you know, sit, being in the right structure within the team or if I was being lazy at a per- certain period of time, I was happy for him to call me out. Um, and, and, and to be ruthless with it as well. Cause I knew 
that there was no um, there was no malice behind what he was trying to what he was trying to 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 do. But all he wanted to do is he was just trying to make me a better player. Um, and, and yeah, and um, yeah, and he was just a very special person. So obviously that journey itself was a, a special one. But then we obviously fast tracked through that. 2003 season and it all happens very quickly uh St Kilda loses to Collingwood on a Saturday night a, a bad loss Matthew Capuano gets the tap on the shoulder and uh very unusual to have a player cut effectively mid-year you get promoted off the rookie list you play that very game you kick a goal in the first 30 seconds at the MCG obviously the, the home of footy can you Recall it all, I guess, the, the few days that led up to you playing and then was there a moment when you went back to your position after kicking the first goal at the MCG where you thought, shit, what the hell's going <laughs> yeah, on yeah. here? How did this all happen? Yeah. Oh, I can remember it like clear as day. Um, and, yeah, and getting called into the office, um, not like the two years prior, <laughs> getting called into the office <laughs> by the coaches and the operations and the recruiting guys saying, Alan, your services are no longer required. This was this was a a good news story, so I was more than happy to to walk up to uh, walk up to the coach's room and have them all sit down and say, "Al, you're um you've been playing some good footy." Um, unfortunately, um, Matty Capuano's left the footy club, and there there's a spot on the list, and we would like to give you an opportunity. Um, yeah, so from from that moment on, you know, the phone start ringing mum and dad and all the family and then the next thing after that is how many tickets can we get um <laughs> and then, and then after that they're organizing all the buses that come down from over at um and then it, yeah it, it's a surreal couple of days and and then you get to game day and um yeah and you know like having your uh, training for that period of time with your robert harvey and Nathan Burks and Lenny Hayes and Nick Rewalt and Fraser Gehrig and all Aaron Hamill and all of these stars and legends of the footy club. Um, but to, to get that opportunity to, to run out in the same jumper with them, you know, like that was uh, yeah, very special. Dad's a, Dad's a St Kilda supporter. Um, so for him, having his son play and represent the footy club um, you know, meant a lot not only for him but to our whole family. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, and then having extended family and uh, and friends in the stands as well. I think the goal, the end that I kicked the goal, and I think they were doing the um, the redevelopment of the stand. I'm not sure the name of the stand at the moment. Um, so the only thing that was there was that little stop clock or whatever it might be. And yeah, you're right. It had twenty or thirty seconds on it. Um, after smothering the kick from um, um, Talis, I think it was, from Hawthorne. Um, and then, yeah, just the, putting the arms in the air and uh, and then you got Nick Revolt run over and then Xavier and then uh, Harves comes over and they were all jumping around with, with happiness and excitement. Um, and then, yeah, to, to play that game um, and to to slot four and kick the last one of the day as well. So you kick the first, then the last, um, just before the final siren. It's, um, yeah, like it's it's a pretty cool feeling. You you mentioned before walking into the footy club and, and talking about the culture of, of St Kilda when you got there, but I guess 
walking into that into that locker room and you've got you know Grant Thomas is the coach and, and obviously he'd put in a, a fair bit of work in terms of turning around the culture you know from a, a losing mentality to a winning mentality and and the family and and all that sort of stuff that people still talk about you know 25 years later nearly um, what what are your memories of of Tomo and I guess that that period for the footy club yeah, Tomo was, uh, it was it, he, like Bundy, like he was hard as nails, ruthless, um, more than happy to call a spade a spade, rip the shreds off you, but then be humble enough to give you that loving and warm cuddle at the other end. Um, and just being the family man that he is um, and the many barbecues we'd have and We'll go around to his place and uh, he was a huge fan of um, the steaks that are about 30 centimetres thick. Um, and we'd all go around to his place and um, and just hang out. And and having that family environment, uh, which which in turn generated that, that culture from a family setting and then for what I wanted to, you know, input to the footy club with the support um, of of. Peter King, who I mentioned, Xavier, Bundy with his support and a, and a few other key people as well. Brian Phelan when he was at the footy club and then he moved to Melbourne Storm, who was a um, player welfare manager at the time. Um, to bring in that sense of culture, not only from a family setting but from an identity setting as well because the work that I do now um, in today's environment, you know, working with engineers, in, in the built environment to bring in culture because when you talk about engineering, they only think about today's engineering. When I talk about engineering from the many, many thousands of years ago of, you know, our ancestors engineering and being, in, you know, engineers in their own right of how they manage uh, water and how they manage cultural burn-offs and how they had the ingenuity of creating a boomerang or a spear or these uh, these artefacts and tools to feed the mob. So bringing in all of those um, cultural values and lessons that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation and, and the sense of pride and culture, um, I wanted to bring that to the club. Um, and I was lucky enough um, that, the, that the club gave me that platform to start working on those particular programs to work with the young kids as well to to build that resilience and the strength and the pride within the grassroots level made all of us a lot stauncher and stronger and prouder as well because we're giving something back to the community. Um, and then on the back of that comes that other side of the culture coin as well. Um, yeah, so it, 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 it was a, a, an absolutely amazing time. Um, then, then sort of when I, the four years that I had, and then, uh, I think it was eight or nine years after went back to, to the footy club and helped in the, um, the Aboriginal participation space again to help the club out to advance their Aboriginal affairs as an organization. Um, cause I think when I went back, there was only one or two of the brother boys playing. I think it was only Gresh and Longy. Um, but then working with Matty Finnis um, and Lisa Liang um, and then some other key people in, um, in leadership roles um, at the club to, to work on the Reconciliation Action Plan. So we can create, again, 
we'll try to create that level playing field. So when you know when we do recruit in your your, um, your new recruits, they come into an environment to to feel culturally safe, so then they can perform and feel like it's home for them. Whereas now, you know, you've got all your cultural design jumpers at the footy club. You've got um, Nicky Winmar's jumpers and all the other cultural design jumpers that have been that have taken place over the last few years. You've got the word woman Jika um, in the in the headquarters there at the foyer. You've got both the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flag. Um, the the staff numbers are starting to increase. So all of these things, the momentum side of things, is gradually building. Um, so that makes um, you know. A young recruit or a, or a new recruit coming into the footy club um, feel culturally safe. So then all we want them to do is, first of all, be themselves, not feel shame and play the best best football they can play for the footy club. So, um, so yeah, help the club out in that aspect as well, um, uh, yeah, to launch our reconciliation, reconciliation action plan a couple of years ago, which is a milestone event for the club as well. Um, and to bring Nikki down um, to the club in Gilbert for for the welcome to country and the smoking ceremony and the, having the boys participate in that, um, you know, all of these things do build over time. Um, and now, um, you know, you look at Gresh um, and and a few of the other boys, they feel a lot prouder and stauncher um, for for you know for all of those. Little, I guess what you call them, foundations that we that we put in place uh, over the over the years. Now, going back to two thousand three again, so you come into the second half of the season, play seven games, kick kick nine goals, averaging about ten touches a game. The club was on on a real sort of rise at that end of that season, and it, the team was starting to look really gelled and things were really starting to work well did, did you find you were or feel like you were going to be part of the team going into the next season like really cementing a spot and think, thinking it was there or did, what may I guess playing only two games the next season sort of what's happened there was was everything in like, we know he had a few injuries and that but yeah how, yeah. how did it roll into the next season yeah so the next season um and you know, I'm always competing against around the uh, that small forward lead up role. Um, you know, competing against Mildy or Aaron Hamels or Guerrero, who was there at the time. And um, then you know, I had full confidence leading into that second year to, to hopefully to be a um, you know be one of the 22 that are named um, every week. Um, but then, yeah. The few injuries come into play. I think I broke my arm about four times um, that year, so I think I missed the majority of that year. Having operation after operation, and you go back to the, to the reserves and you try and play your ass out to try and get back into the team, and then you might play one, and then the team loses, and because they lose, you're the first one out. Um, yeah, so then, but then also going back to all of the the life skills programs that we were doing at the footy club and having that mental resilience to just keep going because there's um, because there's this thing in the back of your head that will just say you either give up or you keep going. Um, and with all of that training in terms of their mental strength and 
even though having all of the injuries and um, and being in and out of the team, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you you just keep going. And I and I was getting a lot of fulfilment and joy when I was whilst I was injured injured to do those community programs because that was my role within the footy club at that time, even though I couldn't pull the jumper on either for the senior team or the reserves. So I sort of took that as the opportunity to advance the club's community programs in that space as well, um, even though, yeah, look, ideally I'd love to be out there pulling the uh, number 20 on um, every week in and week out, but unfortunately it just didn't pan out that way. I'll talk about the little milestones in your career. You did play in a final in 2004. In terms of the the steps across your career, as you say, you had your debut at Port Adelaide, then you had your debut at St Kilda, and then uh, obviously you've kicked four in that game, and there's different steps along the way. How um, significant – well, I know that the final didn't go too well with a, a bad loss at the, the Gabbard of Brisbane, but to run out there in a final uh, at AFL level, just, just what that means or, or meant given the injuries that year? Yeah, I was pretty surprised um, to get the call up myself and I think they just wanted to mix things up again. Um, and I have no doubt that Matty Rendell was with sort of the mastermind behind that um, to try and mix things up with the forward structure that we had at the time. So I think we were a little bit predictable. Um, so so to throw in you know, someone who leads different, who plays different, sort of brings in an element of um, some change. Um, and I think I was pretty lucky not to get suspended that game too as I come off the line and hit power <laughs> in the back of the head with my elbow, so I was lucky not to get suspended. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I had 15 or 16 touches that game, but, yeah, we lost. And um, Yeah, but certainly, you know, playing in that finals environment um, at the Gabba, yeah, the like the first game or um, like any game, you're just you're, like you're sort of in awe in the moment and then you just get in the moment and then you sort of shut everything else out and all you want to do is just try and, you know, play at your best to perform for the team. Your final year at the footy club in, in a playing capacity, anyway, 2006 was, was Tomo's final year as a coach as well, but you played um, – all of your four games in the first half of the season. We've spoken a little bit about the the injuries that you suffered, uh, I guess, in those later years of your career. But what what was the end like for you? You, you mentioned kind of going into the into the coach's office at Port Adelaide and having that conversation with you know the department. Um, yeah. What what was that like at the end of your time at St Kilda? Yeah, so my my end. That St Kilda was certainly a lot more humble, I suppose, than what it was at Port. Because towards the end, um, I had six years in the system, busting my ass out to try and you know be a regular senior player. Um, and then towards the end of my last last year at the club, I sort of somewhat fell out of love with the game um, because of injuries, and then because of your you're playing some solid solid football in the reserves and you're not getting that call up. And when you do get the call up, you're um, you're only in for one or two weeks and then the team loses and you're the first one out. Um, so you can only put up with that sort of, um, I guess, the, the 
you know, kicks in the guts or whatever you want to call it for, for so long. Um, and, you know, you're doing your extra sessions and you're trying to do everything that you can to, to be the best you can and play for the club. Um, and then towards the end, I, as I was saying earlier, um, I was getting my fulfilling, fulfillment at the footy club by running the programs. Um, and, it, yeah, you know, and I was enjoying, which I shouldn't have been, um, playing yeah, at uh, uh, Springvale Scorpions, I think it was, back then um, in, mm. in, the, in the reserves um, because you could sort of play the game uh, with freedom, um, whereas you get into the elite system, it's you got to run here, you got to be there, you got to you know be in certain places, and if you're not there, you get your, you get your match review coming up on the Monday or the Tuesday, and you get shown on the white on the big bloody screen of um, where you should be, and that's in front of forty other blokes and all the coaching staff, and um, so towards the end of all of that, I sort of just had enough of it. Um, so then I, what I did was um, I started to put my energy towards moving or transitioning myself out of the game. So then I wouldn't end up at Centrelink. Um, so then I moved myself or transitioned myself into the charity that we had set up um, and which made the transition out of the game or out of uh, St Kilda Footy Club a lot easier. Um, so it left on, on good terms and and that's and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go back to the to the club um, to help them out in the Aboriginal affairs space as well to to assist them and help them because they helped me, you know, the, those years ago to give me that second opportunity. Um, and, yeah, and I still pop down to the club every now and again, um, still chat to a few of the boys and, and only, um, only Corinne or Karen down there, Eamon, who's, um, who's the Aboriginal affairs um, liaison worker down there. Um, and, and then also having touch points, um, before, um, Simon got in the seat with, with Matty Finnis and, and reg- regular check-ins with him around the Aboriginal affairs aspect of the footy club. Um, but then also being somewhat playing the role of what Bundy would do, um, and, and be open and honest with, with Finnis as well around the participation side of things of the footy club. Of, why are the brother boys feeling it the way that they're feeling? Why aren't the club in recruiting or employing more Aboriginal people within the environment when you've got 60-odd um, staff or, or people within the, within a workplace and you only got one or two? Um, it, it, you know, that's not good enough. Um, and having those honest conversations with Matty Finnis um, at the time, um, which is a relationship I respected as well, um, so that's that was one of the reasons why I went back to the footy club to to really help them out um, and to into to where it is now, you know, with all the boys that are there now um, playing some good footy. Um, hopefully, we can play some more consistent footy um, and keep all the brother boys out on the pitch at at, at the same time. Um, yeah, so we can bloody get that second flag that we're all craving. <laughs> So you've got you've got a great connection to the club, obviously, and what this year we've been asking everyone who's come on, being the one fiftieth anniversary of the club. To you, what is the Sagilda Football Club? What does it mean to you? What what's a moment that could describe it for you? Basically, in your words, 
your best description of the Segura Football Club? Um, yeah, well, I guess for me, it's, uh, well, I guess if you put it in a, in a body terms, I'm, I'm right-footed. Um, I'd, I'd say it's, they've been my right leg, um, which is, which is my strongest leg. And for, for that footy club to, to give me that opportunity, um, and to, to work with me through that journey and then to go back, um, and the, and the, the many great people I've met along the way as well, um, not just the playing staff, um, the many trainers and support uh, volunteers um, at the club who I still speak to today, um, the sponsors uh, and having great relationships with them and still having good, great relationships with them um, and just holding that, you know, close to my heart and, and really valuing, um, you know, the time that I had and, and hopefully, you know, the club have learned a couple of things from, from my time being there. Um, and, and, and that's what, you know, and that's what it's all about. Um, that if I can, the club's given me something and hopefully I've given something back. Um, yeah. So in terms of the, the body stature, they've, they've been my right leg ever since transitioning out of the game. That's for sure. I think it goes to show it doesn't matter whether it's AFL or, or local level that football clubs are life-changing for anyone who's ever been involved at, at club level and, and what it does to for, for people's lives and the opportunities it does give them. But, Alan, thank you very much for the ongoing contribution. Some contributions are both uh, significant on the field and off the field, and, and yours is definitely one of those. So we appreciate you um, sharing the, the stories, but also uh, all of the time that you've given, not just us, but the club. Thanks, boys. Alan Murray there and obviously hearing from him there, great that he's involved with the club and, and certainly helping a lot of the, the younger players through. He's got a very good head on his shoulders and speaks well and um, understands that balance between football and life and what one can teach you about the other and vice versa. So um, good to get his insights on that. We turn our attention towards West Coast. Now, obviously, it's not our position to be flippant because any game is capable of being won or lost. West Coast have demonstrated that. They beat Collingwood last year at, at Marvel, which is the biggest upset in the history of the game on reflection. But um, <laughs> the reality of the, the situation is also that they're playing as bad as any side that, that I've seen whilst watching AFL. We, we, we've mentioned Fitzroy a little bit, that they're playing as bad, if not worse, than Fitzroy when they were on their deathbed in 95, 96 and, and struggling at the level that the expansion clubs were when they joined the comp in, in Gold Coast and, and GWS. And I made the point, look, we, as St Kilda supporters, we're generally nervous, anxious people because we, we tend to think that bad things are just around the corner or if things are going okay, it won't last or you, you, when, where's your next crisis? Where's your next injury? Where's your next season-defining loss? It's not our fault um you know we, we've been accustomed to that so often that you you kind of has as a defense mechanism prepare yourself for it um so it doesn't hurt as much if it does come but the the reality nick and i, I mentioned this in the group is we have to it's we have to almost as supporters try to find a way to shake ourselves free of that and certainly as a club we have to shake ourselves free of that because the the scenario I put forward was if you re reverse the roles, if we were going as badly as they are and they were fighting for a spot in the eight like we are, 
they would not mm. be having these conversations. They wouldn't even talk about us. They just rock up and beat us by fifteen goals and move on. And that's exactly what we have to do. For sure. And and you're right. I mean, the, the footy club, the footy club is the one that has to move forward from Correct. this. The footy club mm. has to get to the point where they prove to the community, to the to the fans, to the members, to the AFL world that they are capable of moving past this. And so far, you know, I, and we, we talk about the fans' mentality, and that's why the hashtag, that, that's why that So St Kilda exists, right, is because the St Kilda fans, the St Kilda community has been burnt so many times before by all of this, whether it's rule changes, whether it's last-minute injuries or you know, umpiring mistakes or whatever it is, poor losses when you should win. This this membership base, this supporter base, has been burnt so many times. The scars are so deep, and it's. I don't think it's on the fans to get past no, this. No. That's so St Kilda. It's it's on mm. the footy club. It's fairly and squarely on the shoulders of those in the footy club right now to get past this. To walk into a game on Sunday afternoon where this team is in crisis. West Coast are in crisis, and. We shouldn't be having this conversation. Like you said, we shouldn't be having this conversation like, can we even beat this team? Like, are we going to beat this team? Every team in the AFL should beat this team and mm. shouldn't even think twice about it the way that the Eagles are going right now. This is the worst the worst team that we've seen in the last 30, 40 years, if not ever, mm. if not ever in the history of the game. This is the worst team. We shouldn't be having this conversation about whether we should win this game, whether we should be flippant or uh, prepare to, to win this game. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be having this discussion. But we are so scarred from other memories and other events and circumstances. We only have to go back a couple of weeks to, to Hawthorne, mm. um, who was sitting second last on the ladder. They had one, two wins for the season, and we're sitting fourth, whatever it was. Mm. I think at the at the time, and and they came out and rolled us, and that that's another another example of what this footy club does to us as a fan base, <laughs> and and that's exactly why these conversations happen. That's exactly why those hashtags exist. It's exactly why that so St Kilda is a segment on this podcast, um, and it's on the footy club. It's on Ross, and it's on the playing group, and it's on the administration to get us past that, to to prove to us over and over that we are better than that, that this shouldn't exist and it doesn't exist. But right now it does. And in a professional comp, H, I think just, just on that too, I think in a professional comp with professional leaders, it probably won't, you're probably not as vulnerable to it. Like I, I don't envisage a scenario where we could lose the game uh, as much as that might be playing with fire. But the, the perception is certainly real from inside and outside. And I remember reading this morning the match tips and, and things like that, and this is what people write in articles. It was they tipped St Kilda to win by 74 points, but the line at the bottom of it was, but if anyone was going to lose a game to West Coast, it would mm. be them. And I'm thinking, fuck yeah. you. But in a way, you're right. Like I understand why you're saying that because our fans are saying it, but fuck you anyway. Like I don't want that sort of stuff being written, you know what I mean? And, and it's we've got to find a way to get that out of – their vernacular and out of our vernacular. Yeah, well, I was saying to Nick earlier. Um, I've done my tip this way in this week in the way of I'm probably halfway between what we should do and halfway between mm. what we probably will come out and do. And so I picked us by ninety nine, going one because Sakura can't win by hundred points. That that just doesn't happen. 
Um, <laughs> but we should win by 20 goals. And then you go, okay, well, it's in Perth. So you take a little bit off that. And then you go, well, we're probably going to have Kings probably going to kick one seven. So you go, okay, a little bit more there. Then, <laughs> and they're somehow going to scrap six goals in the last six minutes. And you, you just go, all these things that could come together and that we scrap a 40 point win. And you're thinking, well, yeah, it's the kind of thing you look and go, it's a 40 point win that you're going to be kicking the cat about. It's, it's just not mm. a result that mm. you go, that's, it's not, that level of win's not even acceptable. Um, it's, yeah, a game that the biggest upside for us is to somehow go out there and absolutely annihilate them. There's no other upside for the whole match. Yeah, we have um, a habit of beating it's, it's shit teams and not really. feeling great about it. Yeah. Um, um, we just need to find a way to have the system flow. Like, don't kick 12 goals, 19, and mm. win by 38 points. Yeah, um, so, mm. The margin doesn't so much matter. It's just take your chances and look convincing. Yeah, it'd be nice to see. Mm. Well, like, this, this uh, is a team... Players who haven't done something This is a team while. that lost by yeah. 100... They, they lost by 170 last week. They've had four losses by over 100. They've had 12 losses by 40 or more. 12 losses by 40 or more. So this is this. It really is a no-win game for us because if we if we come out and win by 50, well, of course you should win by 50. They don't lose by under 50. So you, you have to win by that's that's par for the course. But obviously, if we don't win by if we win by 12, then it, that's as bad as a loss and if we lose then that's crisis so the only way that we can win is if we if we demolish them like you said h it, it really is it's a no-win situation for us and because we don't demolish teams like let's <laughs> just put that out there we just don't we don't demolish teams yeah i mean uh, what was our big i mean we beat the goal early in the year we beat the goal coast by 53 and, and, and the Bulldogs dogs by 51, 51. Yeah. um both of those sides obviously significantly better than than this one um yeah, uh, yeah, difficult to put reads on margins, but yeah, my, my view is just be convincing. I think they put the line up as fifty-one, as you say. That's about part this of come, the course. Yeah, it, that's even that's come in though. I think it's at forty-nine or something. I, yeah, it's, it came in from fifty-one to forty-nine. So it's. I'm, yeah, I'm it's, stunned they didn't make a change this week. To be honest, West Coast, but I'm, I'm glad they didn't. No one, no other choose. Well, can can they? <laughs> can, yeah. Can no, as in not not a change in personnel, but a change in. The ah, top, well, so to speak. Well, yeah, they, they had yeah, been along it's, it's that line all year, one. though, that they were going yeah, to they stick have. with him no matter what yeah. because of the situation. And th- that was that had yeah. been written in weeks ago now that they they yeah. know they're in trouble. They 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 know that there's nothing Simba can do about it. it it's just yeah. what he's been dealt, the cards he's been dealt. So I was True, sort of confident but, um, that wasn't going to happen. Guys. Um, but yeah, you sort of go, you're sitting there last week going. He's going to get sacked. He's going to get sacked, and we got to go next week. And oh, yeah. that's yeah. the other thing that was runs through everyone's head. And but you sort of all had the confidence going. No, they've said that he is there through the season, no matter what, because of our situation. So it gave it a little bit more confidence. Going, yeah, okay, that's same team. So it's going to appear next week against us. So yeah, that's a well. I mean, they get they get Shannon Hearn and Jamie Cripps back. So Hearn, Hearn will take 18 intercept marks hmm. and probably kick three goals from outside 50 and Cripps will kick eight. From the goal square. He does. <laughs> but Cripps but, sums up but, their um, scenario though and that he's missed probably 10 weeks and he's come straight in. He's not even playing mm, Waffle. That's right. 
So that it shows That's you right. the, But you look at yeah. the, the names that are on their injury list, mm. like Cole, uh, McGovern, Nat Nui, Petrescu, Seaton, Rotham, Waterman, Yo. Yo, Cully, Edwards, Jones, Water, like uh, they're they're in crisis. They're mm-hmm. in crisis. They are, and um, obviously it's the fourth biggest loss ever that they had last week. So no one, you know. So we're almost trying to convince ourselves not to be afraid, when the reality is we just shouldn't be afraid. It's it's that simple. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's the nature of who we are, and it's not our fault. As we said, it's it's not our fault. It's it's perfectly natural for us to feel the way that we do, and it's up to the club to start righting those wrongs. I mean, in my head, I was thinking on Sunday, oh, if we lose the game, it's as bad as that Hawthorne loss in 99, and we won't recover for two years. But then I'm like, well, how about you just don't lose and you just <laughs> watch right. the game and yeah. win and move on? But obviously they've brought in, as you say, um, Hearn, and, who did play a few weeks ago, and, and Cripps, uh, Elliot Yo, who's arguably their best player. I know he's had a, a bad year on injuries. He goes out. Um, Petrovsky Seaton, who I forgot was still playing AFL, has gone out of the uh, <laughs> out of their side as well. For us, it's interesting. So Ross comes back as expected. They don't. They didn't drop Sharman, who they've done in the past. Like as a sub, you usually have to leave the sub out, but they've kept him in. Mm. Um, obviously, with extended squads, they take Campbell over there, uh, and I think it's Paris as well, um, which is interesting. Is in, yeah. But the there was just speaking on mm. on Paris. I don't know if anyone else saw the um, the post from Nova on social mm. uh, earlier in the week that said they got some some big family news and they were out for a celebratory dinner and champagne mm. and uh, obviously seeing seeing Jack uh, in the squad this week. I know he's been in an emergency a couple Maybe of times. Maybe he'll be so the I don't know sub. if we can read much Maybe. in it, but, but possibly, possibly. Yeah, that, that would suggest that there's a very strong chance of that. Yeah, well, um, well, Nova mm. might have let the cat out of the bag. Bit, bit yeah. of run. In Perth, never heard anyone. So yeah, yeah. That's that's. He's yeah. been okay. And if there's been any okay. game pressure as well, it's one of the things that we've lacked. If, the, if there's pressure. any game to bring him. someone in for yeah. for for match experience, when yeah. when you're up and about, that it's the sort of game you go. Okay, this is this is the best situation to do it. You, you probably yeah, line up against someone. Yeah, line up against mm. someone that probably had a, I guess, even a similar, maybe just slightly better than him sort of level, and. Yeah, just he's got nothing to lose. Get out there and yeah, run it, run like you can, run like the wind, and give, just do show us what you got. Yeah, it looks a good chance. I think based on I didn't know that Nova tweet, so that there's a fair chance that that might be uh, on the cards. But um, interesting, obviously, Bytel thirteen tackles and about thirty touches in the VFL. Billings kicked three and had twenty seven or something. Um, they must have been close, but obviously he wants to give them another run at Sandy and, and who knows what happens the week after. Obviously, McKenzie looked okay. Zach Jones somehow managed to get suspended, but um, but looked okay. Um, and obviously, the kids were progressing. I mean, McKenzie, what's the number for McKenzie and Jones realistically? Do they have to play three in the VFL? I, well, I, I'm not sure, Jones. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, Jones I mean, I think, I think Jones might D-Max not, but I mean, probably, to, to be in contention. Yeah, I mean, at least three, probably four mm. or five, I'd, I'd imagine, especially yeah. for someone like McKenzie who hasn't played since, what, June last year or May mm. last year. So, I mean, you, you need you need a solid month to be able to prove that your calf and brain for mm. McKenzie can handle it. Mm. Um, like I, I want McKenzie in just about more than anyone else on our injury list. Mm. Mm. McKenzie and Hayes are probably the two, the two for us. But um, 
yeah, look, I, I think they probably need a couple more weeks. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, Jones definitely didn't help himself. That's that's the big thing about him. So no, um, it's no. Yeah, he got had the opportunity and come back and yeah, as as he's done a couple of times, just made a bit of a silly decision and yeah, it's it's setting back another. Well, you look at a minimum two weeks. Um, yeah. It, not the smartest. By the time you get to the round 17, 18, 19, where you sort of go, okay, if he gets a good run and he's in contention, but unless there's injuries there, you're sort of not picking him because you want the team set at that point of the season. Mm, that's so right. it's yeah. almost a situation going, we probably won't see him in our colours this year. And, and he's out and of contract. Work, working in contract, his favour so. is our midfielders lacked a little bit of dynamism in recent weeks. So there's mm. a chance that if he did spark it up, he had probably 14, I think, in that game, but they were largely in bursts where he'd have three in a in a chain and then four in a minute and, and, and just little mm. bursts like that throughout the game. And McKenzie kind of drifted in and out, might have played 50% game time, but looked okay, rusty, but, but okay. And hopefully he tracks along. Um so, yeah, obviously we'll watch this space for a debutant. We've only used 28 players this year, which obviously points to our injuries, but, but also that we probably need to have a look at a, a couple uh, that, that might give mm. us some options uh, in the run, hopefully towards the finals. But the awards, um, let's start off with the Shannon Knoll Award, just change it up a little bit in that space, only because I think we're, we're missing a player maybe more than we realise. I think a lot of the talk this year has been around whether this player is either finished or in our best 22. Um, I'm hoping the answer to the first question is no, and I think the answer to the second question is yes. But given how young our forward line is and how poor our ball movement has been forward of centre, I think we are missing a fit Tim memory quite significantly. Um, so my... Lift is actually, and I know it's harsh because he's a kid, but it is the AFL, and I think we need Caminiti, who's been a bit quiet in, in recent weeks. I know he's playing on Harris Andrews last week, which is tough on, on arguably the best defender in the game, but we need him to be able to compete, um, and he's had a pretty good year. But we're missing memory. He's not going to play for at least a month. It needs to be Caminiti that's doing that hit-up and competing just has to be. It's as simple as that. So, um, yeah, he gets the the award for mine. H, where did you go? Kevin E's got to have a – I feel like he's the one that this week needs to have a big week mm. and get that confidence. He needs – he, mm. He's not hitting the packs like he was. He's not, I guess, giving that um, op- option that he was giving early on. It's, he, he was finding the space and getting it open a lot more early in the season, but it's just kind of drifted away a little bit and just fallen off what, what he provided early. So it, this week, get out there and yeah, take the game, take the game by the scruff of the neck and can, yeah, have a massive game. Simple as that. Just, just show us that you've got the ability to hit every contest, to, like a 50-50 every ball you go for. And if you don't win it, get it to a position where a crummer or or kill the ball. Let, let, let's not lose the ball when it gets in your vicinity. Let's control that ball. And yeah, he, he 
probably do with a real shot of confidence this week. And it's it's a perfect opportunity for him to do it. Max King. Mm-hmm. Max King. Played 88% game time on Friday night and had seven touches, uh, zero tackles. And I, I feel like in a team like this where you are missing that kind of senior leadership in the front half, I know Butler's Butler's been better. He's been pretty good, actually. Credit where it's due. Dan Butler's been pretty good. Jack Higgins, on and off, pretty good. Um, but you need a big body. And I know I think we miss we, we've missed Cordy. I never thought I'd say that, but mm-hmm. I think we've missed Cordy and and that kind of big body um, leadership in in, the, in inside fifty. But when delivery inside fifty is not good and you're not winning a lot of the ball, then you need to make your size and your presence felt. And I don't think King does that. Um, we know how damaging he can be on the scoreboard. We know what an incredible player he can be. Uh, but when it's not falling your way, I think you need to you need to have a plan B and plan B for a guy like Max King who can get around the ground as easily uh, as just about anyone in the competition has to be putting pressure on and chasing and tackling and second efforts and like you said, locking the ball in and, and stopping it from rebound all the time. And we haven't seen that from Max King and. You know, if you want to be a, a real elite forward in this competition, then I think you've got to add that to your game. And, um, you know, if, if he doesn't kick six this week, then fine, but at least make your presence felt and throw your body around and, and you know, cause some havoc. You can keep the ball rolling, Nick, with the – would you change the order up a little bit with the Jason Blank? Um, probably seems like a common – you mentioned him before, Parker, but Liam mm. Stocker, I think, mm. just – keeps putting one foot in front of the other and um, just doing what what needs to be done. I, I did consider giving it to, to Jimmy Webster for his role on uh, on Charlie, but I feel like he's gotten a fair bit of credit for that <laughs> over the week. So um, I, I feel like most weeks Jimmy would 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 be a pretty good candidate for that. But um, Liam Stocker just continues to to take steps forward and um, he's become a really a really valuable part of this team and and. No one seems to talk about him much. No, they don't. Um, it's exactly right. H, uh, where are you yeah, sitting with this one? It's kind of hard to argue against. Um, he's still, mm. I feel like, our best inclusion this season. Um, obviously, because our other other players I've sort of lifted up this year are ones who we had we had last year as um, young players. But, yeah, he's just, just keeps giving week in, week out and... Um, had someone come in saying you need to be dropped, and I, I, I couldn't believe. It. I'm thinking, Jesus, there's half a team I'd drop before I'd be dropping him at the moment. It's yeah, there's. I don't, I don't see what some people see in a play. Oh, I can play a. He turns it over once, and all of a sudden he's the worst player in the field. And yeah, I don't understand at the time. So, um, plenty, plenty of other mistakes were made on the night, um, but. Oh, I thought he contributed really well, and yeah, if we've he keeps that up, he, he's I reckon he's a fair crack at getting top ten in our best and fairest with the consistency he's shown. So it's um yeah, it'd be a great huge first season if he's able to pull that off. Um, I want to give a nod to, and I think it is certainly Stocker, but honourable mention. His numbers don't read as well as they have earlier in the season. Um. 
but I thought at least with Mitch Owens, he showed his versatility again in that um, he was struggling to have an impact as a, a hit-up player, so they put him into a, a role and he, he somewhat negated Andrews a little bit in the second half and probably showed what he would have done to Sicily in that Hawthorne game if he was there. So um, whilst he didn't necessarily succeed or win the role, he lowered the impact of Andrews. It was another example of him taking the responsibility to do something different and change things up. And um, I thought it was another, I guess, sign of his coachability and and how well he's tracking along this year. So I give him an honourable mention in that space. Um, I think that that's so St Kilda. We probably sum that up with the the mindset, I guess, that that lingers around Mm. a match that we shouldn't be worried about but can't help but be. But uh, some of those listener questions kind of relate to what we were talking about. Josh fired one through talking about Jimmy Webster turned 30, um, saying will he effectively be the one-club player? I'd imagine so. Um, DK asking about whether you'd play McKenzie on a wing or halfback when he's fit. I still think wing uh, with Wood on the other Mm. side. I think that combination works so well for us. Um, Bob Akan, clearly not a fan of Gresham. Um, And Tim D asking (laughs) the question, which is a very valid question, um, effectively as to why... Saints fans aren't showing up. We've been pleading for primetime games. We got a battle for top four last week against Brisbane on a Friday night. Two on a spud and the crowd was a little bit disappointing. And I think that is a bit frustrating that, you know, we, we want this exposure. We get the exposure. Not only do we not play well, but we don't show up either, um, mm. which is disappointing. There's there's a couple of things there. And, and obviously the, the big one that's going to get, members to games is win games of footy. Mm. Like win games of footy, even if you're playing average footy, like we, we know that that we'll sell games out when we win four or five games in a row. We'll, we'll get, maybe not sell them out, but you know, we'll, we'll get your 35 if, if, if we're playing good footy and, and winning, winning games of footy. But the other thing is that that's really hard to deal with. And, and you know, we're all on this side of the city, but, the, the public transport mm. into into the city at the moment from the southeast suburbs has been awful. Like it's horrible, mm. and a lot of people prefer to get the train into the city. Um, don't want to have to drive into the city. All that sort of stuff, and you know the ability for Bayside fans and and southeast members and supporters to get to Marvel and and to get to the G in recent times has been very difficult and so that that does make it tougher but first things first we've got to win games of footy yeah i think that um it's that you know once bitten twice shy type thing that that seems to plague us but we look towards west coast at sunday twilight obviously the whole round will play before us and the win reverts us back to fifth and Hopefully, it's a, it's an enjoyable weekend. It's often hard waiting to be the last game of the round, but it probably beats losing on a Friday night and then enduring a weekend after that. So um, we'll regroup next week. A big thank you to Alan Murray. A reminder to like and subscribe and to review if you haven't done so on whatever platform that you listen on. It's always good for the numbers. And, of course, our full back catalogue, you can find all of that. Just jump on the socials. You can interact with us on game day and... Just have a bit of a chat and send some votes and questions and other bits and pieces and hopefully enjoy us moving one step closer to finals football with a win over the West Coast Eagles.